Hello, I'm Owen Mooney, and you're listening to the Sports Coaching Podcast with Sam and Homeshow. Welcome to the latest episode of the Sports Coaching Podcast with me, Sam Homeshow. As always, we hope everyone is well, safe, and, and keeping busy in this this strange, this strange time for us all. The podcast where we explore and discuss topics from the academic world and begin to explain as coaches how we can implement these into our coaching practice. So, very, very uh, excited and delighted to have me with this week, uh, Mr. Owen Mooney. Owen, how are you doing? How are you getting on? Good, Sam. Um, how's yourself? You keeping well? Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. Luckily, uh, a wealth of master's work to keep me going. How's, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, again, in the same mode of wealth of dog prof work as oh. well. Although I'm kind of taking a little break over that next couple of days, doing a few recordings myself. So, uh, But keeping busy and... Trying to just decompress at the minute. <laughs> it's smashing stuff, and you, uh, how, uh, how's everything with the uh, the whole situation at the minute? Managing to uh, keep busy, I know, obviously as well as your your, your doc prof work, keeping yourself sane. Yeah, so I'm obviously I started a new job three weeks before uh, the restrictions came in. Yeah. So I we had planned for me to work from home at some stage, and probably round about now the work from home would have started for me. But obviously that was accentuated whenever the restrictions came in. So because of my role, a lot of it is online. Yeah. Um, so supporting staff and we still do that twice a week, making sure that, you know, staff are have work to do in terms of their work programs, anything I can do to help them, but also in my role in relation to coach education, coach development, webinars, so are fully um full speed ahead in terms of everything in relation to coach support yeah uh, which is great and again keeping busy and trying to uh, enjoy the time as much as we have it and you know it's it's nice to get out in the middle of the day for a walk around home yeah. you know just trying to keep a routine as well which is probably yeah. the most difficult aspect yeah. at the very start yeah but um, i've kind of got my head around that at the minute yeah, yeah, smashing stuff. So, you mentioned you mentioned some of your some of your work stuff there. So we'll get into your your coaching role. So, I suppose the first one to mention, and uh, and do correct me if I don't pronounce this correctly, but you're the learning and games development coordinator at Dublin County Board of the Gaelic Athletic Association. I get that right. That's perfect. That's the perfect yeah, way of putting it, especially for people who maybe won't be as familiar with the GA and in Ireland. Um, so yeah, that's perfect. Um, Dublin is Ireland is obviously split. Ireland is split into four provinces, and those provinces are huge. Some of them have nine counties in them. In Ireland, some of them have only five. Um, but Dublin is because of the population in Dublin. It's technically without uh, being officially the fifth province in Ireland because yeah, of the amount yeah. of people and the amount of staff that yeah. Dublin GA County Board have. So yeah, I kind of assist and support the staff on the ground or games promotion officers who are in the clubs. And the GA is a community-based organisation. So even though our uh, most high-profile players in each county play representatively for their county, and they're basically full-time athletes without getting paid. Yeah. They're volunteers. Yeah, yeah. They have their jobs. They study. So it makes makes them, they get a good high profile. But again, um, they're full volunteers. They help out in the club and they're not paid. And that's what the G is all about. It's yeah. volunteer-based. It's community-based. The club is at the heart of the community. The club is the bedrock of everything that the GA does. Um, and having experience obviously in Ireland, but having had that experience with the GA in New York as yeah. well, um, it just brought everything together and showed how how important community sport is, yeah. not even within the GA, but in sport in general. Yeah, smashing. Tell us a bit about Gaelic football. It's uh, something that's always interested me. I don't know, don't know too much about it. Give us an introduction on it. So uh, with the GA, there is a number of sports. So... In the GA, they have Gaelic football yeah. and then hurling yeah. Oh, yeah. and rounders and handball. So you know what rounders is and yeah. you know what handball is, although it's a different type of handball. It's um, using your hand as the, 
the bat or the stick or the racket. Ah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Gaelic football is probably a mix between uh, transferable skills of football and I will say soccer sometimes, but I hate the word soccer. And <laughs> just being in America, being able to differentiate Gaelic football from football, it was soccer. So yeah. I apologize. Well, we'll excuse anybody. you for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in terms of transferable skills, Gaelic football would be, uh, there'd be a mix of football, there'd be a mix of rugby, there'd be a mix of basketball skills, um, and those are all meshed together. So um, it's full contact, it's heavy going, very skillful, um, a lot of athleticism in the sport as well. And then if you haven't seen hurling before, hurling before is now uh, a UNESCO sport now with um, within the GA, so mm. it's protected historically. It's uh, played with hurls, basically sticks for want of a better word, but <laughs> sticks is not a, not a good terminology for the use of the hurl. And then the slither, it's a, a cross between a baseball and a cricket ball. Right. And um, players wear helmets. They have to wear helmets now, but that rule only came in a few years ago. So you would have seen the hurling matches between, say, Clare and Tipperary in the 1970s and mm. players playing without a helmet. And basically the hurl, if your head is in the way, too bad. If your hand is in the way, too bad. You can come through and follow through and pull in the ball in the air, which just means trying to strike it in the air without catching it. Wow. Um, wonderful sport, extremely fast, really fast moving, uh, really exciting, and it's a wonderful sport to go and watch. And if you do, um, I know obviously there's a few, there's a few um, uh, in terms of Britain GA, they have um, county boards um, in Yorkshire. Smashing. Uh, Lancashire, Hertfordshire, London as well, obviously in Scotland. Um, but it's a great, com- and it's a community element, and that's the biggest thing of the GA, really? is people who move away, and if they have any inclination of getting involved in GA, it's a great way to get more involved in the community. Um, that's basically what the GA is about. The sports are, kind of, they're, they're the hobbies of everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the main, the main bedrock of everything is the community, bringing people together, getting them involved in your club, um, and basically just heritage and culture. Smashing, smashing. So you mentioned, you mentioned before, just you, that you were doing a, a doctor of prof practice at Leeds Beckett. So tell us all about that. Tell us what you're doing. You enjoying it? Really enjoying it. Um, I started it. We. Um, we're in the first cohort, so we're the very first cohort of the doctor professional practice that leads Beckett, um, which is great. We're a small cohort of 10. The support that we give each other is brilliant, and um, how we interact and how we've connected with each other has been great, but that's simply um, down to the staff as well. So yeah. Kevin Till, who's the program director, Smashing um, that you know well, and uh, Andy Abraham, yeah. uh, Bob Muir, and uh, Julian North are the main teaching staff for us in terms of the taught modules that we have of understanding expertise, which is Andy's module. Um, sense yeah, making module. is Bob's, and the research process, which is Jay's. Yeah. And Kevin oversees all of that. Kevin is in every lecture. Kevin is in every online webinar with us. Um, just just um, facilitating and overseeing everything. And then obviously we have our supervisors now who have just been um, just been confirmed over the last week and a half. However, I was in a more probably fortunate position to some of the guys in the cohort was I kind of knew who my main director or supervisory would be and it's Sergio Larbercial. So known Sergio and I for over 10 years and having that relationship with him in relation to him being a supervisor for me is wonderful Fantastic, and yeah. it's been such an advantage for me personally and um, to have him and uh, to bounce ideas off him and how we already have that relationship already so i don't have to get to know him yeah, yeah, i don't yeah. have to get to know his background yeah and my second supervisor now has been confirmed as uh, nikki clark oh smashing so yeah so really happy with that in terms of nikki's background of coaching children yeah, and, yeah. um and child psychology and so, yeah, so that's pretty yeah. cool um, my doc prof is on playing sport, and I know we're going to go into a little bit more detail than that, but it's it's so vast at the minute. Um, <laughs> and you know, over the last couple of weeks, we had we just finished block three, so we have one more block. So we had our 
presentations for confirmation registrations and even after our confirmation registrations we're still trying to narrow down our question on our research which is a good thing in fairness because the stage that we're at you know we have a lot of a lot of leeway and a lot of kind of flexibility in terms of how we go about our research yeah yeah, yeah. but from from where we started in block one last september to now our research has narrowed down significantly yet it's still fast as well which is great and that's what that's what the lads want that's what all the guys want was to keep broadening our reading but trying to narrow our focus and that's kind of where we are at the minute Um, and mine again is just trying to understand the role of play in sports coaching and we just found there was a little bit of a gap in the research in terms of play in sport there's lots on play in education and occupational therapy and physiotherapy and play-based learning and mm. play workers but nothing major in terms of sports coaching and how coaches can use play yeah, yeah. and bring play into their sessions but also what are the barriers and benefits of play and you know um but also the last part and the most significant part is the voice of the child yeah because um, yeah. the children are going to be asked hey uh, now the age range of the children that I am hoping the research in terms of ethics is uh, is a little bit more difficult but <laughs> there are children from four to eight years of age yeah. up to 12 yeah. so they might be able to verbalize <laughs> what play means <laughs> to them but they will be able to draw it um, they will be able to show me what it is yeah. and they'll be able to tell me yeah. so write, draw, show, tell will come into that as well yeah. and again there's a little bit of gap in the knowledge reading in terms of the research about that because any a lot of the research that is on the voice of the child um it's more with children 8 9 10 11 12 so they're, again they're it's a little bit easier for them to verbalize and get interviewed but i want to go a little bit younger than that yeah right. um again just to get what play means to them and what they won't they might not understand what play is per se but yeah, yeah. they will know that they like playing with their friends. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, they love being outside. Yeah. Um, they like their parent being involved in play or their coach trying to get them to think differently. Yeah. That won't come out in their language, obviously, <laughs> but it, it could come out in the drawings yeah. um, of when, what is, draw, can you draw me a coaching session with your coach? And so again, there's, there's a lot of ethics in relation to that and how I'm going to go about I'm actually putting it together in terms of research methods, and that's what I'm looking at at the minute. Yeah. Um, but as Julian, Julian North, uh, we had our kind of feedback session after confirmation of registration, and Julian is a big advocate of reading for fun. Yeah. So no matter what article you're reading or what you're reading, read for fun, and that's where I am at the minute. And a lot of the a lot of the guys in the cohort are where yeah. we know we know where our research will go or might go and we're reading along those lines but we're still reading outside um our main body of work Mm, so mm. i'm still reading play theory and occupational therapy for play and education based play but um in my mindset it's okay well how how will this affect my research and because i'm doing it for me this Mm. research is for me Mm. initially yeah you know so it's good it's more motivating in that sense yes definitely um and it's changed. It's changed a lot in the last two weeks, even compared to where I had it before the confirmation yeah. registration and where <laughs> I am now. Um, but extremely interesting and very fortunate to be in a position to undertake a dot profit, especially to make it. Yeah. So on to uh, on to what we're actually going to chat about today, as uh, as you've probably guessed by listening to Owen, we're going to chat about play and playing coaching. So. Firstly, we're going to give an introduction to this whole idea of play. So we're going to briefly chat about deliberate play versus deliberate practice, a massive debated topic in academic literature. We're going to chat a bit about Owen's uh, work that he's doing within his PhD. Then we're going to briefly go into this idea of early specialisation versus early diversification. So if you've not heard of that, that's a great one to look forward to. And then when we get on to the end, we're going to give you some tips from Owen and, and also some of the stuff in the academic world about how to begin to create play or have a play coaching structure uh, as coaches with our uh, with our participants athletes or players so to start us off then Owen 
this this whole idea of play or or maybe term deliberate play. Do you want to? I guess you want to give us an introduction of, of of what it's about. What's the whole idea of it? So, in terms of obviously, there is a lot of as you know debate and stuff in relation to free play and deliberate play. Um, and my my own research is more related to the deliberate play aspect, but there's still free play in speech marks. Yeah. Um, and basically the free play in fairness, my next door neighbours, there's four boys and they range from 13 down to four. And there's a lot of free play out the backyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of risky play and rough and tumble play <laughs> and object play. And it's great crack. Sometimes yeah. I'll go up, I'll go out the backyard and I'll just listen to them and watch them. Yeah. Because their father, their father is a, a big GA man, loves, loves football, loves Gaelic football, loves every sport in fairness. He's a yeah. big Manchester United fan. And we kind of fall out about that in case people don't know. I'm a Liverpool fan. So just wanting to get that out there. <laughs> And I can't wait to Leeds get in the Premiership, by the way. So um, just get that in. But in terms of my research, as I said, it's more in the line of deliberate play. So the coach and the child, so player, athlete, whatever way you want to call it, mm. working together and collaborating um, their own learning through the practice, but without actually telling them what to do. So there's a lot of leeway and a lot of learning cognitive development in terms of that in terms of the child especially mm. problem solving yeah um, learning speech and language development so yeah. whether it's a new concept or a new word or a new skill that they might have heard before yeah and just practicing it yeah and having a go at it but the coach is there um and it's the same as out in the backyard the parents are there making sure maybe they're facilitating that they're not that they're safe yeah they're not yeah, yeah. Um, messing about or yeah. uh boxing ahead of each other for one better <laughs> as well um but they let them at it yeah yeah um and then obviously the deliberate practice is more focused on uh improvement of a skill or and it's repetitive yeah it's there's continual feedback um and it's about a long-term goals more than anything and that's kind of where i would kind of put the two of them apart yeah but you can't have in in my own head, I'm thinking about my own research and how I coach. One can't happen without the other. And they work together and it's a little bit of a seesaw balancing mm. act. Yeah. And how, depending on the age of the child, you, you might go more deliberate play to that intrinsic motivation, enjoyment of sport, creating that connection and environment. And as they get older, they're going to have to learn specific skills for a specific sport that mm. they're playing or um if it's an early specialization sport for example like gymnastics or swimming and i know you're um a swimmer sam you love swimming okay. so you have to go into the sense of continued practice but good practice yeah and, yeah, yeah um practice me is perfect it's like nails down a chalkboard for me because it doesn't it could be ro- rubbish practice so you know it has to be has to be meaningful for the sport it has to be enjoyable the actual repetitive nature of the practice has to be enjoyable but people say that deliberate practice is not fun the fun element can is the enjoyment element and it's it's kind of a little bit like trial and error so if something is challenging and it's more difficult when you have success at it then the actual motivation you really enjoy it and you're happy and okay this is great i'm going to move on to the next one and that's where the deliberate practice i think comes in because it's more challenging but it's related then to the deliberate play which is the game the Mm. game is chaos yeah and you have to embrace that chaos in your coaching but then you have to marry the skills and the concepts of the game within that so it's a very difficult juggling act for coaches (laughs) um for researchers as well yeah. and Andy Abraham the work that Andy has done and uh, Dave Collins and they say well which is it is it yeah. and theirs is well it depends yeah. depends on the Massively. context yeah. Yeah. depends on the sport yeah. depends on the age of the children depends on the coach's knowledge and understanding it's it's a whole minefield and it's it's not A, B, C, D there's things that you'll pull out that'll be suitable for different groups yeah. Massively. And it's just again as I said it's have a go and you will know yeah. have yeah. a go at it see what happens yeah you know but you want to always have that uh, 
keeping things fresh and varied in your practice. And that's where the deliberate play is a little bit more yeah, easier in. because it's, you know, you're not telling them what to do. You might be questioning them or yeah. putting them into groups and getting them yeah. to come up with their own game related to the skill that you want them to practice. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so interesting because I think there isn't really a sort of one narrow definition of the two. Because, I mean, play, it often gets associated with this fun element. So you mentioned problem solving. So exploration, you know, discovery, learning, learning the game yourself, learning, having fun. Then deliberate practice, it's that idea of you've got to do 10,000 hours of continued development practice to, to make it to the elite level. And that's unfun, which, which is strange to me because I always really enjoyed it. I loved it. And I don't, I think it's always doing really a, a certain definition so I would say I do a lot of deliberate practice, but it's in the form of deliberate play because the, the drills I'm doing are a lot of game-based drills. So would, is that play? Is that not play? It's fun. Is it not fun? And it's, it's such an interesting debate, really. You know, what's right, what's wrong? I don't, I think like you said, and, and context is, I mean, something I've mentioned a lot on this, uh, on this podcast over the last couple of episodes, it's so important to really consider if it's appropriate for, for who you're working with and everything. So I guess I guess an appropriate point. Do you wanna do you wanna go in a bit further into your to your PhD work then and, and tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, again my initial question for my doctor professional practice um, play and coaching. Yeah. So coaching through play and the first block that was and that was my research proposal. Yeah. Going to the first block of the Todd Mudges over Leeds Beckett and I haven't been there for three days. I came away from those three days after the Mudges with Andy, Bob and Jay. How did you manage to get through those? <laughs> it was just a mind bomb yeah, because yeah. having thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with this. And then all of the questions that they posed and then all of my reflections and th- thinking on my own research was like, I'm here. Yeah really narrow and then it just explodes yeah, and yeah. I have a huge uh, things to look at in terms of theory and in terms of coaching practices and coaching children and education based and all that stuff and then I narrowed down then to sport and play yeah. and again over two questions and it's still voice of the child and coaching perspectives on the why, what, how of incorporating play and even then I thought okay I'm no more narrowing down now, which is great. And then, boom, happens again. <laughs> it just explodes again. And again, Life of his COR. Yeah. yeah, COR, it's now playing sport, understanding the role of playing sports coaching. Yeah. yeah. But it's increasing a little bit, not as much as previously. Um, but that's a good thing because it, it, it shows that we're reading outside our own knowledge, but also we're reflecting constantly on what we're doing. And the way the modules are put together in, in terms of the dark profit leads back, it is great. And it's we've had a couple of light bulb moments, a couple of epiphanies, and oh, so Jay will be talking about um, epistemology and yeah. you know how the world works and how things yeah, yeah, come yeah, together yeah. and yeah, how yeah. your coaching can influence things. And you're like thinking, oh, well, that's what Bob was talking about yeah. since week. Yeah. And then it relates then to understand expertise and yeah. Andy's module. So it, yeah. it just links together so and it's nicely, yeah. it's your own reflections on it and can again how you find your own research and in terms of what you're doing. And again, you're all you we're being selfish in this because it's it is to do with us. As coaches, you should be selfish a little bit because basically it should be about you in terms of what you want to get out of it. Yeah. But the main aspect is that it's all about the players. It's yeah. all about the children. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're the guinea pigs for you to have a go at things, Massively. to try new things, to yeah. keep things varied. Yeah. But you want to enjoy things as well as a coach. Yeah. There's yeah. no point in the children enjoying it and the players enjoying it and them learning lots if you're not learning, if you're not engaging with them, if you're not challenging them and challenging yourself at that stage. And that's where the play comes in. Yeah. Um, my research had started with looking at um, novice coaches and novice parents coming in, and a lot of a lot of uh, new coaches in the GA and same in any other yeah, club yeah. Um, and any other community-based sport. Their parents first, 
and then they come on the coaching ladder and they gain their experiences to go along. So in my head, it was, okay, well, how can new parents incorporate play? And when I was reading through the literature and different play types, so Bob Hughes, the play worker's taxonomy, he has roughly about 16 different play types. And I kind of broken them down into what is suitable for physical development, uh, cognitive development, social emotion development, and speech and language mm. development for yeah, children. Yeah, yeah. Um, but on that, it's, okay, well, how can now novice parents bring that into their sessions? And when I'm watching parents and parents who are coaching and obviously the, when you're, when you start off, you like the control and we've all been there. Yeah, there's, yeah. In fairness, there's yeah. a few groups that if I was coaching tomorrow that I previously had in schools, um, I would have to basically yeah, tell them what to do because yeah. they're just that group. Yeah. If I yeah. let them any way off the leash, they are going to cause havoc. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends yeah. on the behavior of the children on the group dynamic. Um, but get know the children getting to know your players creating that environment um having that thoughtful respectful positive influence and giving them trust that you trust them they trust you and that you can give them a little bit more leeway so yeah. put them into different groups and see yeah. see what happens yeah and then your job as a coach is to challenge them or yeah. to change the groups if Owen Mooney and Sam Homshaw are messing about in their group okay oh you go to that group Sam you, you yeah, stay yeah. in this group yeah, just yeah. separate them yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the difficult aspect for coaches is there's so much to think about. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. What I want them to, yeah. what, what I ideally for my own coaching philosophy is one thing at a time, no matter what you're doing, one thing at a time. And that's where the play aspect, and because of the way I'm thinking of the podcast, but especially the play based workshop is going to be my next output. Yeah. So each of the play types that I talk about, so obviously it's. I talk about, um, Bob Hughes talks about locomotor play and explorative play, imaginative play, social dramatic play, role play, fantasy play, object play, mastery play, symbolic yeah. play, all of that. But in, in the workshop, I'm going to break all those down and show examples of what this looks like. Yeah, yeah. And I've done it a couple of times and I've done it at the Third Eye Coach Kids Conference and I've done some of them. I didn't realise it was some of them until I actually did it because when I was reading back in the research and coaches found it really enjoyable, but they're always thinking, well, how can we bring this in? Yeah. How can we do this? Yeah. And I said, yeah. Listen, if you're asking a question, if Sam is one of my players, Sam, if you're one of my players, one of my five-year-olds, and if I'm, Sam, what are you doing in that game, Sam? Or what are you learning? Or why did you do that, Sam? That's social play. Me asking you a question, is social play. So there's a lot of play aspects and play themes that coaches are doing. Mm. They might realize to what extent they're doing it yeah. or yeah. where it fits in. Yeah. Um, and I've went now, changed things now. So from the novice coach interviewing them and seeing them, yeah. I think that would be too much pressure to put on someone. So I'm thinking of looking at a little bit of change behavior in terms of full-time coaches who are working with younger children to see how this would work with them yeah to see how i can challenge them and obviously I'd probably 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 not get better feedback yeah. um get, i don't know whether that is the case but in terms of the volunteer aspect in terms of my own research and how i'm going to go about it it's a lot easier for me to work with people who are working full-time and bringing the framework, the player framework that I'm working on yeah. in relation to that and yeah, then yeah. try it out then at a yeah. workshop yeah. with novice coaches yeah. and bring it to different clubs and different sports. Yeah. But at the minute, I'm so whole mind thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's enjoyable. And, uh, and again, it's everything that I'm doing, I'm practicing. Mm. I'm trying to have a go. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and I like, I, I make mistakes all the time, yeah. but I enjoy the chaos. Yeah. And coaching is chaos. Is chaos yeah. The game yeah, is yeah. chaos. <laughs> yeah. uh, working with children, especially, is chaos. And if you're not embracing that, then you're in the wrong, you're taking the wrong age group or you're working in the wrong sport. Wrong profession. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so it's a really, really intriguing chat so far. In So, I think let's 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 dive into this this idea of early specialization versus early diversification. So 
I mean, it, it's it's terms that a lot of coaches may have not come across if they've not come not not been involved or been exposed to maybe the academic side of coaching. So, I guess to start, you just want to give us a bit of a an introduction of what is early specialisation versus what is early diversification. So the early specialisation, I would class it as uh, doing one sport for a long time from your very young, and that's basic. Now, there's a lot of sports obviously you are like that. So swimming would be classed as an early specialisation sport, gymnastics, athletics a little bit as well. But again, it's the nature of the sport, and you know a lot of athletes um, who do specialise early. Um, there is obviously potential problems in that, but there is benefits in relation to um, high performance when later on in life. But again, the early diversification element, multi-sport. And this is something that um, I've had a lot of experience in, not personally in terms of actual coaching, like obviously Gaelic football, hurling, um, and football and soccer would be maybe three sports. Basketball and athletics have doubled in coaching as well, but the main sports would be Gaelic football, hurling, and soccer for mm. coaching. When it worked in America, very different. Um, the amount of different sports, and I love ice hockey, love basketball, love soccer, love American football, love lacrosse, hurling, Gaelic football. I'd watch tiddlywinks. It doesn't matter what sport. Um, but working in America was a little bit of an eye-opener and I knew it was going to be like that um, in terms of the number of sports and because of the GA and it's a community-based element and in, at home in Ireland it's GA, soccer and rugby, mm. the three main sports. Mm. Obviously there's tennis and there's golf and there's athletics and swimming as well but those are three main sports in terms of participation numbers mm. Mm. within Ireland and obviously in America it's very different. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to bring in and again back to engaging with the parents and engaging with the club at the start a lot of there were some people in the club were like no they have to play GA they have to get involved in the club that should be the main sport that they play and I was like no that's not what I want to do I want them to come in here because they enjoy it you know that they don't not because they have to come Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of good examples in that and there's three especially, and the first one is a man called Pat Murray. Yeah. And Pat, is, his family is originally from Monaghan in Ireland, Clonus, just um, not far from my home place and from Annan, ski. But Pat, uh, obviously his parents emigrated to America, and he's a full American, born, bred in New York. He went to Fordham University, and because of his father's GA background, he is. Uh, he was a three-time All-American kicker mm. and field goal expert. Three-time All-American with Fordham. He's now he's in their Hall of Fame as well. Um, but he played for the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and had two ACL injuries on both legs. <laughs> so he he had a lot of injury problems. But it wasn't for early specialization. It was just genetics mainly yeah. for him. Yeah. But. One of the things to try and engage the parents and to try and make them realize that, yes, obviously in America, a lot of it is competitive and it's about scholarships, especially at the 14, 15, 16-year-old age. Yeah, yeah. But Pat, and in terms of the NFL, NBA, NHL, professional sports, what the scouts and what the coaches are looking for and what the schools are looking for are multi-sport athletes. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for that. One, yes, it's bio, um, it's biological. So, you know, in terms of skill development and uh, motor skills and physical literacy, fundamentals, whatever it is, that the athlete is more well-rounded in terms of skills. And my wife is a pediatric physiotherapist. So she would emph emphasize multi-sport as well in mm, terms of mm. injury reduction, injury mm. prevention, mm. burnout, etc. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that kind of resonated with the parents and surprised the parents a little bit was Pat had, and we did a conference in Rockland and it was my basketball coaches. There was no GA coaches apart from myself. Um, and I was just facilitating it. But Pat talked about this. And if, if you want to go to the NFL, and some of our kids did want to in terms of kicking because yeah, of Pat, yeah. he was a motivational role yeah. model for them. Like you, what scouts will look for is, are you involved in three other sports 
you know, so are you playing basketball, playing soccer, and playing American football? Yeah. If yeah. you are, you have, a, you have a better chance of getting a scholarship than you do a player who is specialising as a kicker, only as a kicker, but they're a better kicker than you. The, the scouts will look towards the multi-sport athlete more than the early specialisation athlete. And that shocked a few parents yeah, and surprised like, yeah. a few of them. Yeah. But a lot of, and again, I'll give credit to a lot of the coaches who are ingrained in coaching sport, especially in America, and obviously in Britain and Ireland as well, is when you have that philosophy of, you know, multi-sport and want the children to diversify their sport, sports and play different sports, you know, if they're coming back to your session, that's a good thing. You know, you're, you're creating that environment, that love for the game. You know, you're um, protecting their childhood, for want of a better word. But if they come to your sessions, great. If not, then you might be asking, okay, well, is there a reason for this? Or is it cl- uh, clashing with a school sport, for example, you know, that they are taking part in? Because some of our, we had, a, had an eight-year-old um, in Rockland, in New York, and he was playing five different sports, and he was eight he was playing Gaelic football, he played hurling, he played soccer, basketball, and American football. And it was crazy. Plus the games, that, did, that wasn't even the coaching sessions, plus the games as well. He was out seven nights a week, wow. um, seven evenings a week, um, school sport as well. But his mum, his mum was great. She actually played um, the ladies football, Gaelic from others and others, we called it. So she got involved in that, which is great, but she... She would bring him, she would get involved with the session, he enjoyed it, he was always coming to our coaching sessions, but then it got to a stage where, you know, he wasn't coming to our coaching sessions, and then he was getting upset. So basically, we sat down with her, and, and she came, and we had a meeting, and we sat down, and we said, listen, if he comes to the games, that's that's fine. If he, if he can't come to the games and he has something else on, just let the coaches know. Yeah, It's yeah, fine. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't worry about that. Because she was fully involved in the club, he was always going to be involved in the club. Um, and we don't want to put extra pressure on him and her especially. Yeah. Um, because you should know there are two boys who were kind of doing the same who were older. Yeah, so imagine <laughs> so, yeah. And what and again, the there was there's within Rockland and again there was uh, some of our children and some of our players had scholarships to lacrosse, but they were still involved in Rockland GA and playing Gaelic football, playing hurling, going to the games, taking part in the competitions because their parents understood why it was beneficial for them. Mm. They were involved in the club, so they obviously liked it as well because they were fully ingrained in the club. They would come to the music sessions, the social evenings, the social gatherings. But they were fully engaged with their children's coaches. So one of, one of the girls, Kelly Brady, um, she is in the uh, Republic of Ireland under 17 squad. So she flies from New York, flies to the tournaments. Her first tournament was in Italy. And uh, her scholarship is, was signed. Um, and her father and her coaches were adamant that she still plays Gaelic football. She still plays ladies football because she enjoys it. Mm. And she's playing because of her friends. Yeah, she enjoys yeah, being yeah. in interaction with her friends. Yeah. It's a kind of a release for her as well. Um and then the th- second one was second young man uh, was a fellow called Kieran Dalton. And uh, the Dalton family were very good to me, but Kieran is the youngest boy. Um, and he is built like an outhouse barn. He's huge. <laughs> he, when he was 15, he, he plays midfield Gaelic football, midfield in Harland. Yeah. And to play midfield Gaelic football in Harland, you need to be strong and athletic and very skillful. Um, good decision making because same as mid centre midfielder in football yeah. or point guard in basketball you need to have ice in the back of your head yeah. but his favourite sport was basketball but he was a goalkeeper for the New York Red Bulls so his Red Bulls coaches they could say listen when they when they realised what Gaelic football and Harlem was and where he was playing mm. and when they watched some of the videos they were like oh he has to keep playing these sports because when he when he's a goalkeeper for the Red Bulls and he's been captain for their under fifteen squad and he's been in Germany for goalkeeping academies, goalkeeping is easy for him. Yeah, yeah. Because Second of the handling coordination, yeah. because of his basketball transferable yeah. skills, yeah. 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 and they're encouraging him to keep playing those sports. Yeah, yeah. you know because yeah. he will have to specialize later on, but the early specialization, the younger it is, um, 
obviously in terms of enjoyment and pressure it can build and less 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 enjoyment can come into it as well yeah but then again it depends on the sport it depends on the context the enjoyment could come from being early specialization and i know sam obviously you've uh, been involved in swimming when yeah. you were younger and you know and how that's affected you and yeah. i've been the same in terms of soccer yeah. and ga and you know when i was younger it was you pick one yeah you're eight or nine years of age you pick one yeah. you do one and you do that Whereas for 10 years yeah i i refused doing that so if i was made to pick one then i would quit that one and go to the other one <laughs> That's why you kind of flipped it on its head. And I wish I had that mindset. I love that. You know what? It's, it's, and now that's just being kind of just awkward, in yeah, fairness, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You know, just testing the boundaries, and I do that a lot. But in terms of early specialization, again, it depends. But the ideal is early diversification. Play as many different sports as you can. Yeah. Get the enjoyment, get that love for sport, that love for physical activity. Because then what you want is you don't want them to finish sport and the finish being involved in sport when they retire from playing you want them to become coaches you want them to become administrators you want them to become parent coaches to get involved in your club whether that's ga basketball football anything just get them involved and create that love yeah yeah. and that yeah people who are listening to this podcast know how influential sport is in a social dynamic you know, when, why would you why would you condense that? Yeah. Why would you yeah. you know constrain that yeah. to one or two sports? Yeah. Open it out. Yeah. You know, yeah. Broaden your horizons. Yeah. Yeah. Play as yeah. many yeah. different sports as you can. Yeah. Obviously, then in terms of time and parent um, parents being able to drive you to practice and stuff. So again, that's another kind of conversation, and that's where you engage with the parents again as I talked about. Yeah. 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 I mean, some great points. Uh, some great points you make as I've just been noting down listening. I mean, yeah, if we think about, so I'll tell my story. I'm often associated with being a football coach as that's pretty much my occupation now. But yeah, swam seven, eight times a week from the age of, age of seven to the age of 12, 13. So for six years, very full on, everything was swimming. And, you know, some of the guys on the master's course, who remember a couple of months back, we, we were doing golf just in one of the practical sessions, just, just having a mess around. And I couldn't do it. I was awful. I, I could not physically throw, swing it. And, you know, and it's like, and people couldn't understand it. laughing at me. Like, How can you be this bad? Because I've never learned or developed those skills. All I was exposed to was swimming from 7 to 12. Never did any other sports. PE, you know, it wasn't great at my schools. They were, you weren't really encouraged to get into anything. It was more if you wanted to do it. So I never was obsessed with swimming. Get to 13, 14, then it's all football. So then I'm just playing football until I'm 21, 22, where I am now. So, you know, if you give me a ball now and you want me to go and play cricket and be a bowler, it'd be the same as a five-year-old doing it because I've never developed those skills. So from that point of view... You know, there's so much in the academic literature, but from that point of view, that's a problem for me. But you think about enjoyment, it got to a stage where, you know, and, and you know, swimming, for example, they'll argue, look at Michael Phelps, similar background, he'd have gone on, look at the success he's achieved, and you can't argue with that. But for me, who dropped out at 12 because he'd fell out of love with it, you're 12, and you look back and you think you're only 12, but I was 12, and I was embarrassed that I couldn't do any other skills, so I didn't bother. I didn't go into participation. And that's a massive regret for mine. Because and you look back and you think you were 12. If you were 23, yeah, but you're 12. But and you th- and I think I think that's a great point you make about sort of the psychology, the social stuff. You really miss out on that if you really specialisation. Again, that's just my opinion, just from my own experience. But you, you miss out. You know, I didn't really have any social skills until I was about 15, 16, because I'd lacked through developing it. Just through one sport in swimming, it's quite an individual sport. You know, think how much time you're in the water. So, so some great points. But then again, you mentioned early diversification. You talk about that lad who's doing five sports, which we would encourage. But how much time is he? He must feel exhausted. So there's that point of view as well. Now, I mean, I would always probably say get him involved in two or three. Have a main one. But, you know, some of the stuff I've been doing as part of the master's course, donor sports, having like a, a second or a third sport that they don't have to play a match day in, but they can just go and participate on a Wednesday night for an hour just for a bit of fun. Or even if that's just in the park. So 
Yeah, I mean, some some really great points. I don't know if you anything just to add on that. Just on the, um, probably in terms of the early specialisation, and I didn't kind of go into detail in terms of my previous role with Ulster GA, and we were physical literacy, Department of Education, physical literacy coaching and development officers, and was in that role on and off for about 10 years. But as I said earlier on, we would work with the teachers in terms of bringing what they were doing in the classroom and trying to relate and cross-curricular elements of what they're doing in the class, can we bring it into PE? And can we bring it into the physical literacy sessions? Mm. But because of, obviously, the um, nature of our role and the environment that we were in and the kind of the political element as well, because it was the GA and AFA coming together, and we were going into control schools, which were classes, partisan schools, and maintained schools, which are Catholic schools. So there was that respect element and, you know, wanting to keep, obviously, culture and values. Um, and But it was very similar. You know, I would be going into control schools and I would be doing Gaelic football and hurling skills, but I would also be doing doing it through cricket or yeah, through yeah, throwing yeah, or catching yeah, or hand yeah, passing yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it was the same, it was the same vice versa in maintained schools. You know, we would be doing rounders, we'd be doing cricket because we wanted them to get to have experience of as many different sports, as many different skills, and then they could choose what sports or what, what they wanted to go in because they were getting that that exposure yeah. in school. Yeah. Um, and then we would work with the clubs then later on in terms of the school club link and trying to marry that together in terms of participation for players, but also volunteers as well, get new volunteers. So that was the kind of link that we had in terms of coaches, parents, club, and then teachers, school, club. So that element, and that's kind of where I'm a big advocate for obviously early, uh, for multi-sport and early diversification. You know, but um, it was only when I went to America that I was like, oh my God, there's so many children playing so many different sports. How is that, you know, impacting on their, not only their kind of social element, but their school work. If they're (laughs) out that much in terms of sports, their school work, they're, you know, um, engaging in, just messing and playing with their friends outside, aside from sport, you know, but also the parent element and the time that they're having to go to practice. And like, what time do they get to decompress a little bit? You know, so I like, I like what you talked there about a main sport, then bonus sports. So bonus sports, they kind of decompress or they have a go practice, maybe yeah. less pressure. Yeah, just enjoy it. Yeah. That, you're hoping probably then that that's going to improve your motivation and enjoyment of your main sport. Mm. And well, that's the concept yeah. and the rationale. It's great. In yeah. This class. yeah, yeah, smashing stuff. Great. Okay, so on to our on to our last topic for discussion. Then, so we've we've spoken a lot about firstly the play versus practice element. We've had a, a brief introduction on this specialization versus diversification and its importance and potential problems. So. I guess sort of for the coaches listening or teachers listening, whoever's listening out there, how do we begin to go about creating play or having, you know, you hear a lot in the literature of these games-based approaches, which is great, but what do we actually do on the coaching field? Where where, where does it come into our sessions? So there's kind of three elements to this that um, I would use in my own coaching. And again, it's related to probably the behaviour and the engagement and the relationships that are built with the child, with the children and with the players. So if I go into the first session and I have an idea of what the children are like, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what the hall is like, or I know the environment that I'm working in or how big an area I have. So I will create the session to you know, challenge the players. Um, however, I'll do it different. So I will always do show me. So a little bit of free play. It's not free play because I'm facilitating it. And there's rules because it's about safety. They're not going to box ahead of each other. They're not going to kick the ball against each other. So, you know, that's all been explained beforehand. But they'll get a ball, either a ball each or a ball with a partner. And just show me what you can do. Have free play. If you don't want to play, then just talk to your partner. Talk to your friend. Yeah. So that's show me. That's 
a free player, a yeah. social player, yeah. locomotor player for yeah. actually doing something. The second one then, um, more purposeful then. So um, I'll talk a little bit about the continuum in relation to my research in relation to this. So that would be the independent play, for want of a better word. Then the more purposeful element would be, I'll, I'll do it in a different way. So I'll put them in a group of four or a group of three. So let's say we go with a group of four. They have a ball and four cones. And I'll say, okay, there's your group. Here's your, here, go over to that area. Whoever's first, you come up with the first game. Don't care what you do, as long as you're all playing. Mm-hmm. Whatever game they come up with, that's it. I don't care, as long as they're safe, etc. Now, in my head, I know I want to focus on passing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, whatever their game is, their game could be a target game, mm-hmm. trying to hit the cones, or trying to play a little bit of dodgeball with each other for the ball is soft again, safety. That's fine. The second game then, um, I stop it. So it goes for about two minutes. I stop it. Oh, that's nothing. So everybody has to do the game in the, in the group. So Sam, you're coming up with the first game. All me, Sergio and Andy Abraham, we're in your group. We have to play your game. Yeah, yeah. The second go is my go. Mm. And you all have to do ours. However, I'm not sure what game I'm going to do. So I have a choice. I can do a completely different game or... I can add in a rule or condition to your game. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then if that happens again, then for one game, you have one game and three rules, or you might have one game and two rules, or you might have four completely different games. But by the second game, what I want is them to focus on passing. Mm. And again, I don't care how they pass. I want to see what the games have come up with, but you're guaranteed nine eight nine times out of ten that one of the groups is going to do an activity that you have in your head that you were going to do going to do beforehand yeah yeah you know so that's the group you'll focus on you'll go oh look at this game can we all practice this game and do this game but adding a couple extra rules or adding a couple of conditions or you know if you want to go two against two or three v one or one v one v one with a referee or whatever you want to do that's up to you then the next one, and again, it's more purposeful. So what I'll do before the session is I'll have all the different activities set up. Yeah. So I might have the same game in my head, but I'll set it up four games the same way, four different groups. I'll put them all to that area. And what they have to do is, okay, you're in a group of four. I want you to make up a game. You have to use the ball. Everybody has to play. You're not allowed to move the cones. What are you going to do? Again, if they come up with your activity, great. If not, you can steer them and guide them and direct them towards that game. Yeah. So you might say, oh, okay, they're not doing it. So how can I put a condition in that is going to you know, narrow it down that they're coming towards the game that I have them in? And again, if that is not working, then another one that would do would be set up, say, four different games. Again, depends on your numbers. If you have if you have 30 players and you have six different games, you can do it with one or two coaches. And how I would do it is set up six different games. And before the session, I will actually go to every single game, bring the group with me and tell them what the game is and show them what the game is. However, when I go back to the start and I go back to game one and I go, oh, what is this game? I can't remember. What is this game again? And somebody will pop up. I go, oh, uh, this is this is a team ball pass. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's yeah. team ball pass. Oh, we all have to pass to each other, and we every time we pass, we get a point, and we're playing against the team beside us. So the first two games are team ball pass. They're playing against each other. But then you have six games, and you stop. Everything goes down. And now, again, it's a little bit of behavior management in that as well. <laughs> um, is yeah. that you arrange the groups. You arrange the groups as the coach. Yeah. You do not let them pick a team. I never let the group pick a team. Um, I do it because I have control of who goes with who. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I'll change some of the groups around if I think, oh, Sam, I think Sam was, that's a little bit too easy. He's kind of not being challenged in that group, so I'll move him to a different group. Or I'll put you as a captain and mix the abilities. But whenever we're doing that, is that I'm looking at the leaders. So, you know, the person who's come up and go, oh, game one is such and such. Okay, you're the leader and you're the captain in that game. And all I will do, I'll go around all those games, put them in their groups, and then they start. And all it is is play, stop, move, play, stop, move, play, stop, move. When they stop, 
all they have to do is, okay, can you set the game back up again the way it was for the next group and then move around? Now, there's going to be specific games related to the one thing at a time that I have in my head that I'm going to concentrate more on and be um, facilitating more in terms yeah, of the group in. dynamic yeah. and yeah. Kind of yeah. helping them in terms of the game. Yeah. But that's, that's play. They don't know it's play. And in fairness, a lot of the play themes and play types, I didn't know it was play until I actually read the research. So it's I'm bringing in locomotor play. I'm bringing in role play if one of them was a little coach or a little referee. Um, I'm bringing in a little bit of imaginative play if I'm asking them to come up with their own game. Yeah, I'm yeah. bringing in object play because yeah. they're using a ball. Yeah. I'm bringing in uh, rough and tumble play because if they're playing <laughs> a game, you know, when they're playing football or Gaelic yeah, football or yeah, hurling yeah, or yeah, basketball, yeah, yeah, you know, there's going to be a little bit of contact, yeah. a little bit of tackling. Um, there's communication play because sometimes they might go, right, no talking, no talking at all. How are you going to, how are you going to deal with this? Or, all right, you're too quiet. No, help each other out during the session. Help each other out in terms of your movement or, you know, what um, vocal cues you're going to give. And you can do that as a coach. Um, I'll talk about, you know, a little bit of exploratory play as well. So trying stuff out, seeing how it works. Because in, in that games that I talked about earlier on, the six games and rotating around, there's games that are going to be really easy. There's games that are going to be really a little bit more difficult. There's mm. going to be games that are full on. But again, that's the differentiation and that's probably the easiest way that I would find of differentiating sessions individualizing the sessions and challenging the children because some games and some activities are going to be too hard yeah. some are going to be too easy some yeah. are going to be just right but you're challenging them yeah. and you're getting them to experience what it feels like yeah. Yeah. You know, what it feels like to be a mini coach or what it feels like to be a referee and in terms of behaviour um, and again I have a couple of things beside me it's across the room so I have a couple of props that I would use in terms of behaviour. Um, and uh, Again, coaches, it's, it's whatever you feel comfortable in doing, but yeah. I'm a bit of a clown. So I don't mind trying new things and I will do things completely wrong just to see what the children will say. So I'll do, I'll do controlling the ball in football and it'll come off my foot and it'll go 40 foot out the other direction. And they're laughing. He said, well, that's how I control the ball when yeah. I'm playing football. Yeah. Here, I've won a couple of league medals. So are you saying I'm wrong? Are you saying that's wrong? And they're laughing and <laughs> wetting themselves laughing at me. Yeah. I go, okay, smarty pants, you show me how to do it then. And then they're controlling the ball. The yeah. Yeah. Some of them are being smart, controlling the outside of their foot, putting the foot on top of the ball like futsal. And then I'm thinking, oh, so if I did all that, would that make me a little bit better? And they go, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So basically, you're, they're thinking they're coming up with a submission. Um, but again, I've got to that stage because I put that, they put that trust in me. They know how I work. There's a method in my madness all the time. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of, it's important to create a balance. Mm. You know, they're still doing, they're still, depends on the behavior of the children. There's children and groups that I have had. And I know it's going to be tough because. There's one group specifically that I had in schools and it was a group of 20, 24 and there was 17 boys and five years. And in fairness, a lot of the boys went to the Gaelic football club in the evenings. So they love sport. They love Gaelic football. They love Gaelic games. Mm. They love being boys, just pure and simple. Love playing, <laughs> take, hitting each other and running away. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the girls, uh, the girls and wives in schools, I love classes that were half boys, half girls. Because the girls, obviously, in terms of their own development, they're a little bit more mature, mature earlier than boys. They take in information a little bit better than boys. They're a, they're a calm and influence. Um, so that, I mean, and with that group, there wasn't enough girls <laughs> to put with them. And if there was, it was one year for every group. And they yeah, were always yeah. the captain and they were always the leader to try and keep the boys in check. But for a lot of those sessions, I had to control the players and control the children more than I would let them um, free play and come up with their own games. Because if I did, I'd turn me back and they'd be away Madness. climbing the walls yeah, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, kicking yeah, the ball yeah. at each other yeah. and run away. And yeah. So again, it comes back to it depends. You know, it depends on the environment that you encapsulate. It depends on the behaviours. But your behaviours are important. Like children are like wet cement. You know what you say? And 
you know, whatever falls in the mix and impression. And that's good and bad. You know, when coaches have a huge influence and, you know, they play such a huge role in children's lives. And you'll see, you, Sam, you can remember some of your younger coaches from when you were younger and you still probably model some of those behaviours when you're coaching. And I know I do. Um, and that is so important. And, mm, you know, trying to be that's that coach that, you know, obviously you want them to improve their skills and to stay involved in sport. But when they leave, if they're wearing, if they're wearing um, the sports club's gear, um, the T-shirts and the rock sacks, whatever they are and they're in school, and people from outside your football club and outside your volunteer community club and they're going, oh, Sam Homeshaw, he's, 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 a nice, he's a nice young man, he's a manners, and that must be a really good club that he's involved with. So then you might get extra volunteers, yeah, but you yeah, want them to be yeah, good people. Yeah, you yeah, know, and it is yeah. about sport, yes, and yeah. about improving them. But you want to create that love for sport, yeah. that love for physical activity, yeah. and you as a coach have a huge influence on that. Yeah, you forget how much power you have in. Oh, yeah. you, we were saying over there on the phone, you can get so much into the winning and creating the next big star or whatever. But yeah, I, I mean, I think what I like about everything you've just said there is you're promoting the learning, they're, they're having to do it for the self. So they're coming up with strategies and tactics for these games they're creating you know they're working on who knows what technical wise they're not just being constrained to do it with their feet they're doing it with their hands whatever and i like the there's a very social element to it we're creating social people that can communicate with each other creating that sense of leadership that sense of teamwork you know psycho psychological gaining confidence and i think these are not necessarily, but I think some of this can be lost when it's maybe more of a practice element of, no, you're going to get into twos and you're going to pass that ball to each other for 10 minutes. You're not really, yes, we're working explicitly on a passing skill and that's my, 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 what we need to do. And we might be getting that from our NGB and that's what we might have to do for the Sunday game. But we often forget, you know, about how important those other skills are and that's what I love about the play element. It's really promoting them. And, you know, we might not even be doing it explicitly. It might just happen. But we're creating that environment that's allowing, you know, whatever age, even if it's up to 15, 16, allowing players to develop those skills over a broader spectrum. So that that's what I really like about it personally. Yeah, I definitely I'd concur with that in terms of, you know, the Conquer, play element is so important and, you know, practice is extremely important as well yeah and it's about balancing the two you know creating the right balance you know for to challenge the players but also to get them to improve their skills for the chaos of the game um, and that's that that's an act of you know knowing your players as a coach and you know the behaviors that they have and the environment that you create you know, but again I go back to it again i've emphasized again have a go with it yeah you know, and, yeah you know, what works for you might work for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you know your players. You know what they can do. Yeah. You can challenge them. And again, depending on their behaviour, depending on their understanding and their skill development, that's going to impact on what you do with them. You know, there's, it's, again, as I say, it's a balancing act. Yeah, 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 smashing, smashing. Great conversation. I mean, we could, I mean, we've been chatting for two hours and we could go on all day. <laughs> I know, it's, Case of like when you're when you're chatting to somebody that you enjoy talking about coaching and you know you kind of have a more extra motivation for yourself and it gives you a little bit of a, a g up or a kick up the backside sometimes you know but the extra motivation is great like and and that's probably like uh, one thing that I will say is use coaches you know we're the biggest resource for each other you know parents are a huge resource so yes reading books and you know going on Twitter and following academics and following coaches you know talking to coaches networking with people sharing ideas sharing practice what works for you have a go at it yeah, if it doesn't yeah. work then try something different yeah yeah you know but engage and connect with each other and that's one of the probably biggest advantages probably of the restrictions is that there is i find there is more connection with parents in terms of like online zoom sessions a lot of our uh, coaches on the ground with dublin ga will be doing that with our club which is great but in terms of webinars and you know, engaging with coaches and podcasts and you know, just ringing people up and because people have more time now 
And I just hope that that continues. Yeah, you know, yeah may as well. Like yeah. I have, I've always had role models and I've always had mentors and, you know, critical friends, you know, who will basically just say, here, why is, you know, that's, that's rubbish. Don't do that. You know, or try this, see what this happens. And yeah. I have it for the PhD. And it's, it's so refreshing because, you know, I, I'm not a yes person and I will challenge things and I'll just challenge things just for the sake of it, just to see what happens. More for my own sanity, just mm. to see, you know, if I can get a little laugh out of it or yeah. test somebody. Yeah. Yeah, As yeah. Bob, Bob, your Bob always talks about, obviously, the um, being a disruptor. <laughs> you know, but it's not for the sake of uh, challenging things or ruining things. It's just to get, just to see things from a different perspective, you know, and to reflect on things differently. Massively. You know, Massively. Uh, you can... You can ne- you can never stop learning, and that's yeah. that's the great thing about this podcast. You know, I- I'm pulling this out for people and getting some great feedback off people who are telling me that the it's a refresher for them or they're learning new things and it's starting to think allow them to think differently. But also, me sat here, yeah. this is this is the twelfth one I've done. I've learned in every single one, and 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 that and that's the great thing about it, really. So. Yeah, well, uh, we'll we'll conclude there, though. Otherwise, we'll end up getting into all day. I know you've got your own podcast to get recording today, so yeah, no, really, really great, really great chattering. Really, really insightful into terms of the use of play. Again, it's such a broad topic, and I suppose in a way we've only briefly touched on it, but we haven't. We've also gone, we've 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 delved so much into it. So yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Owen, how can how can people get in contact with you, follow you? Where did he go? So on Twitter, it's uh, at Mooney Owen on Twitter. And my email address is all lowercase, all one word, Owen Patrick Mooney at gmail.com. So if you want to put um, that up, Sam, in terms of your website, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and coaches have resources of a couple of different things, um, talk about the family of games and games that are transferable, obviously Gaelic games, but also the football and basketball. And again, it's for coaches to have a go and you will know what get in contact with me. Um, and I'm always willing to share information and share resources. And I'm not one of those people that will kind of put my arm around my homework and say, you're not getting this stuff. Whatever I have is anybody who wants it. So Smashing, smashing, smashing. And obviously follow I coach kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yourself listening to it. Really, really great YouTube. And we're not just saying that. (laughs) No, really good. Great stuff. So thanks again to everyone that's listening. Big thanks to Owen. And we'll see you all next week.